0: Well, if you weren't here earlier and you uh, are not a Facebook friend of the church, we just want to let you all know Naz was uh, put in the hospital today for uh, uh, bacterial pneumonia. He was still coughing up blood and still had some uh, pain in his side. They thought at first it was viral. Earlier in the week they thought it was viral pneumonia, but they changed it over to bacterial, which I think is actually better because they can treat bacterial. uh, Viral, I know, you pretty much let it run its course. But uh, that's where he is. He's in the hospital probably until tomorrow. Uh, abington memorial hospital if you are a facebook friend i put up there some numbers you can call if you're not a facebook friend you won't see them but you can always become one so that's the one thing i had access to 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 get it out there real quick so i put that up there Uh, i don't have a room number for him i just had the main hospital number and the patient information number so i gave you uh, both of those but again as the plan is right now he will be out sometime tomorrow not exactly sure when that would be, or if they will change plans on on any of that. But for right now, he'll be out sometime tomorrow. And of course, you know, Naz loves being down all these couple of days. <laughs> oh, man. Well, turn over to Luke chapter 7. We're going to be in a little different story than what I announced. I did announce that we would be in the 10, uh, ten virgins. But that's putting us a little bit later in the parables than we want to be following through Matthew. So we're skipping over to some of the others uh, here in Luke. And uh, I'll determine what exactly we want to get into because actually the ten ten virgins are end-time parables. And we may have already covered them pretty recently. I know we covered the bulk of the end times parables. I'll have to look up to see. I couldn't find anyway that we had covered the ten virgins any more recently than the year 2000. Or 2002, I forget which one. One of those, but it was about it. Eight years since the last time that I had in my notes that we covered it. So we may get into that one. That's why I originally had that down. But we're getting uh, later on in the Jesus ministry, so we before we get too late in it, we wanted to go back and to do this one. Not trying to necessarily go through these things chronologically, just trying to take groups of them as they are together. But here we're over in Luke's parables. Now Luke has a total of 35 parables that he tells in his gospel. 19 are unique to the gospel of Luke not told anyplace else. The other ones, the other 16, are told in at least one other gospel. Luke's parables are known as the intermediate parables, or parables from the second period of Jesus' ministry. Now, that means a whole lot to you, but it just gives you a a perspective on, on some of this. In this story, we have the character of Simon, who is a Pharisee, and he is used and Sometimes this is confused with the Simon of Matthew 21, also in Mark 14 and John 12. But it is not the same Simon. Just understand, Simon is a pretty common name. You know, just be like uh, uh, John, uh, Bob, uh, what are they, Sue. <laughs> All these are you know real common names. You have a lot of people that are named that. And apparently there was a lot of folks named Simon back in this day. So, you see Simon here. It's not necessarily the same Simon as the one that's over there. Uh, in Luke's account, this pl- this took place in Na- Naim, and the others were in Bethany. So, that's exactly how you know why it's a different Simon. The guy can't have a house and <laughs> reside in both places, so it is a different, different guy. Uh, the l- woman in the parable is not named. And there's been a lot of speculation, a lot of times people have come up with things as to who this woman would be, and it sounds real nice, and it sounds real fun, and you you know, you get some real nice nice things out of it. Some of them want to tie in to Mary, the sister of Lazarus. However, the Pharisee identified this woman as a sinner. And Mary, the sister of Lazarus, is of the Holy Family of Bethany. Probably not a person that you would identify as a sinner. Even if she was. <laughs> I don't know that, the, that you would necessarily do that. So it is not uh, Mary, Lazarus' sister. Again, this didn't take place in Bethany. It took place in a different city. Uh, there's also speculation about Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. That is Mary Magdalene. But that's not fair to say about Mary Magdalene. If it was Mary Magdalene, more than likely they would have identified her as Mary Magdalene. And uh, a lot of times people have put uh, uh, used her name for people that are just sinful people. But that's not necessarily right. We don't know that it was her. This is an unnamed woman. She does not have a name. For us to put a name on it is outside of the context of what's going on. If the person's name mattered, we would have been told. So this is just some unnamed woman. And it's not that you know women aren't deserving of having their names told. There's unnamed men in the Bible as well. So we get it on both sides. So now we have those uh, those things taken care of. We have an invitation to the meal. Simon says to Jesus, come on over to my house, we're going to have some supper. And so Jesus says, okay. And so they head on over and they have some, some food. Simon does not appear to be the chef. Someone else seems to have done the cooking. He just came on in and sat on down and relaxed and enjoyed himself, whether it was his wife, whether it was someone who came in and made the meals, for, uh, we don't know. And it does not matter because it's not in the story. Verse thirty six, then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisees' house and sat down to eat. And behold a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. I'm not real sure how exactly she got into the house, or why a person just walked on in, or whether they're just out on the porch eating. You know, they don't have screens. They don't have glass. So the same bugs that can get inside the house can get outside the house. <laughs> so it's no big deal. You know, some of us, we want to make sure we're in a screened-in porch or, you know, in a, if you're going to have a meal in the kitchen where there's windows that surround and, and uh, things like that to keep the bugs out. Well, they didn't have all that sort of stuff, so it could have been that they had an outside porch and maybe they were eating in there. Whatever it was, she knew that they had sat down to eat and she came on in. And apparently was able to to do so. And stood at at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. Now, the term there, began to wash his feet with her tears, is not actually what it says. It's a little bit more basic than that. It just basically says that she wet his feet with her tears. The interpreters put in there that she's washing them. But that's not necessarily her action. She is doing that and then wiping them with her hair. So sometimes we get the idea that she came in with the purpose of cleaning Jesus' feet using her tears and her hair. But I don't know that too many people would come in with that kind of a plan thinking that they would cry enough to have enough water to do that. If if your purpose was really to clean the guy's feet, come on, bring some water. (laughs) Bring a towel, bring a washcloth, bring something like that. And she surely would have done that. So it just seems to be an emotional aspect of the moment to where she's caught up and she is crying. And as she's crying, Jesus' feet were still dirty because they had not been washed when he came in. And as they were still dirty and her tears uh, dripped on his, his feet, more than likely she is seeing, oh, I have marked his feet with my tears. And therefore used her hair to kind of smudge away the marks that she had made with her tears. It's probably more of a thing that, like that that's going on. Than, um, than an actual purpose of coming in and trying to wash the feet. Again, if if she knew that Jesus was there, she's waiting for the opportunity. She brought the alabaster of oil. If she wanted to wash his feet, she would have brought some water. <laughs> it's not that it meant so much more to Jesus to have someone wash his feet with tears, and to wipe them with her hair. That's just um, what she had available, and because I I think it's just from what's going on here, she just. Oh, man, I marked up his feet with his tears. They're going to look funny. Well, we'll see if we can kind of knock that off. I think it was more something along those lines. But again, we get to heaven, we'll find out what's going on. We can actually sit down and ask her. She probably is not number one on your list of people that you have questions for, right? There's probably a few others that you have in there. You know, Paul might be up there. Peter might be up there. Uh, Daniel, you know, some of these other guys. Maybe Moses. Maybe and after you make your way around to all those other folks, maybe you find the woman and you say, oh I have a question for you. <laughs> then you can ask her. But anyway, it's not that big a deal. But just don't get this idea that she came in with the attention to wash his feet. She just wet them with her tears, is really all that the text says. She wiped them with her with her hair and the head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself. Well, how many times people speak to themselves and Jesus just picks right up on it. I mean, just don't talk to yourself. If Jesus hears people when they speak to them themselves, don't you think God hears it when you speak to yourself? So just be careful what kind of things you say to yourself because God's listening. And He can hear. If Jesus could hear, God's hearing. So don't just think, well, I've got to be careful what I say out loud. Don't be talking to yourself like that. Don't be having those pity parties where what was me... You know, and telling uh, yourself why you're so good and God's not been so good to you because this and this happened. He's hearing you. you may as well just say it right to him. Yeah. <laughs> For all the all the good it'll do, say it to yourself. But this guy thought it would be all right. He's in the presence of a prophet. Now he's looking at. He understands he's in the presence of a prophet. But the prophet doesn't pick up that the woman is a sinner, in his mind. So if the prophet doesn't pick up that this woman is a sinner, and he knows that the woman is a sinner. Well then, certainly he's not going to pick up what I'm thinking. So he just sits there. Now, sometimes you know you're looking at people and you watch people, and you can you can hear what they're thinking just looking at them. You ever been there with that people? You can see that expression that comes on their face, and oh, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> they don't have to say it out loud. They said it with their face. They said it with their eyes, their expression on their face, all that sort of thing. Maybe there was some of that going on, but it seems with Jesus that it just happens all that too often. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who who is touching him. And she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Oh, well, then, teacher, go ahead and say it. You got something to say? Go ahead, go ahead and say it. Because I said this to myself. I didn't say it out loud. <laughs> He's not thinking of Jesus. Because obviously, he's not a very good prophet. He doesn't even pick up that this woman's a a sinner. Now, the woman had an alabaster of oil. Uh, It was fragrant. It was probably costly. But it doesn't say that the woman was poor. How many of you all know that sinners aren't always poor? (laughs) Sometimes the reason they're sinners is the way they got rich. The way they got some money. So it doesn't say that she was a poor woman. It just said that she was a sinner. So, we don't know how much money she had. She may have had a lot of money, whatever it was, but they knew that she was a sinner. And it doesn't say what kind of a sinner she was. We don't know if she was a prostitute. We don't know if she was a, um, uh, good terminology, a, a gold digger. You know, just going around from husband to husband, maybe even bumping some of them off. We, You don't know what kind of sinner this woman was. All we know is that they Perceived the the feeling amongst the city was that this woman was a sinner. Whatever kind of actions she had were apparently open and public and people knew this is not such a good person to be around. This is a sinner. So Jesus says, I have something to say to you, Simon. Well, go ahead and say it. Verse 41. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, there is something about Jesus' parables and I haven't gotten into this with you yet. But they call it the uh, rule of three. Anybody ever heard of the rule of three? The rule of three is that very often in Jesus' parables, you will see three of many things. And here you have the rule of three in operation again. You have the creditor, and you have two debtors, debtors which total up to three. There's an awful lot of times we have the number three used in the, in the amount of people or, or aspects of Jesus' parables. Uh, it's not always... There are some, you know, ten virgins. How many are there? (laughs) More than three. (laughs) It's not always there, but it just seems like it happens enough times that they actually came up with something. They classified it as the rule of three. And uh, this is in place here with with him. But you may remember we we talked a, a few weeks back about the unforgiving servant. Again, we had the rule of three involved. We had the man who was the creditor. We had the servant who was forgiven the huge debt, millions of dollars. And then he went out and found another person who owed 20 bucks. You know, something small. Just, a, just something. He went out and found them. So there you had the three in, involved there again. But the difference between what the one was forgiven and the second one was forgiven was huge. It was Astronomical. The first one it was in debt a debt that could not be paid. The second one was had a debt that could be paid. Probably if you just wait a week you get paid. In this one we do not have an insurmountable debt. But there is a difference between the two totals. Now it tells us stuff. Again Jesus makes up the parable. Where do we leave off at 41? One owed 500 denarii. Now, generally, and I've heard different uh, renditions on this, sometimes they don't always, they call it pence or something like that, but a denarii is generally a day's wage. So we can think about this 500 denarii, that's 500 days' wage. And I've heard people trying to put this around uh, by modern terms uh, $10 to about $100. But I don't know that that quite does it. So if we look at denarii, what they uh, had made in a day, uh, an average worker, not a, a rich worker, but just an average worker, then that's uh, that gives us an idea. So 500 compared to 50, which is exactly 10 times than the difference. The one owed 50 denarii, the other one owed 500 denarii. All f- perfectly payable, given time. They are not insurmountable. So this tells you a lot about what Jesus is getting at. In the other one with the unforgiving servant, when he came in and he owed millions and millions of dollars and he had nothing, more than likely he is never going to be able to pay that back. But this one we're looking at two debts, both of which are payable. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay... He freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore which of them will love Him more? Now which one was closer to paying it off? (laughs) The (laughs) one with 50 didn't owe it quite as much, but both of them had nothing. They had nothing to apply to it. Zip. Zero. Not even one denarii. Nothing to put towards it. And they both owed it. Now we're not looking at the comparison to the other one. The one we see the the forgiveness of a huge amount and then went out and wouldn't forgive another one. They're both receiving the same forgiveness. So his question now is the relationship between the one who was forgiven and the creditor. So he asked him, when they had nothing with which to pay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Is that really a legitimate question? I mean, think of it this way. Let's is put it this way in other terms. Okay. two women get engaged one woman is given a diamond ring in the size of three carats the second woman is given a diamond ring in the size of a quarter of a carat which one loves their husband or husband to be more <laughs> now look at his answer Because Simon's kind of stumped by this. I suppose the one who was forgiven more. You're not giving me anything on which to base this on. I don't really know the relationship that the creditor had with them. All I know about is what they have forgiven them. And probably from Simon, the way he answers this, he's kind of saying, well, I don't know if that's enough necessarily to base how much they love the person. But if, if... you want me to answer based on what you told me, I'm supposing the one who was forgiven more. Just like we would say, the people that are engaged, well, it's not quite right to say that the one who got the three-carat diamond ring, but if that's all you're going to give me to base it on, you know, what can I say? So I says, all right, suppose I I suppose that one, you know, the one uh, who's forgiven more. Then Jesus says this, you have rightly judged. So it is okay to love the husband-to-be more who gives you a bigger diamond ring. Right? <laughs> oh man, we can have some fun with this stuff, can't we? <laughs> then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Isn't that odd? He turned to the woman. So he's looking at the woman. But he says to Simon, talking to you over here, but I'm looking at her. Is that a little bit odd? Looking at the woman, but I'm talking to Simon. Now you know he's talking to Simon because he says, Do you see this woman? He's looking right at her. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet, or again, wet my feet, with her tears and wiped them with the hair on her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came up. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Now this is part of the custom. We don't do these things. And so, you know, sometimes it's not part of our custom and we lose, lose sight of it. We don't wash people's feet when they arrive at our house. It's not our custom. It was theirs. They all walked in sandals. So this was part of their custom. This is the thing that they do. If somebody comes to our house, some of the customs that we have is we take their coat. You, you, you have a couple of, of stock greetings that you generally do with people. you know, Hi, how you doing? Did you have a good trip over here? We have customs like, like they do. It's just we have different customs. But this is what they did. We wouldn't think of a person coming into our house, oh, hang on a minute. I've got some oil. Let me anoint you. It's just not something that we're we're thinking about. Now, if I come over to your house, do not try and pick up this practice because I'll probably leave. (laughs) I'm also not used to that custom. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily come over all that well. (laughs) But this was their uh, custom. Again, it's an oriental society. Uh, They had the washing of feet, the anointing with oil, and the greeting with a kiss. This is the thing that they did. It's not what we do. We're not an oriental society. But it is something that they would do. And so he, uh, Jesus is not offended that these things were not done. He doesn't bring this up that these things were not done. Jesus is always looking at the situations that he's in and seeing what in this situation can I relate the teaching to. And this woman came on in, this sinner. And he, he noticed that she was washing his feet, and it, so to speak, even though just basically wetting them with tears and wiping them dry again with her hair. Anointing, kissing the feet, and so forth. And he took that and related it to the normal customs that Simon, for some reason, had not done. Now, Simon still has no idea where he's going with this. He identified who is probably the one who loves him, the debtor more. But I put in your outline this. Did it take this woman to fill what was lacking from the hospitality? The answer to that is no. Jesus was always on the lookout for opportunities that were around so that he could use them in what he was teaching, what he was getting across. Now, as we look at Jesus' ministry in here, you're going to see a, number of gifts, a couple of gifts that are being used. First off, we have the word of knowledge that's involved, don't we? He, by word of knowledge, he knew what Simon was thinking by word of knowledge he knew the manner of woman who was kissing his feet and anointing him with oil he knew what manner of woman he was simon knew what manner of woman this was because he lived around her he didn't expect jesus to know what manner of woman he was because of being in the town he expected jesus to know what manner of woman this was because jesus was a prophet and since jesus allowed her to do this he must not know what manner of woman that she was so to Simon, to have someone of this stature, this sinner minister in this way was something that Jesus should never have had a part with. Now remember the question. Which one would love the creditor more? And he says, I suppose the one who was forgiven more. And he says, you answered right. That is correct. Again, Jesus... Set up the question, he only gave a couple of facts. Nothing else was known. So we had the word of knowledge, we have prophecy, and we have teaching. All these things are being involved in this little get together here, yet no time do we ever see Jesus' voice change, him drop into King James English, or any such things of that nature. He's just, you know, being a regular folk, being a regular guy. So you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to which little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, Now he hasn't changed where he's looking. Where is he looking? He's looking at the woman. He hasn't changed. He has not started looking over at Simon, he's looking at the woman. Your sins are Forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? We had this come up before too, didn't we? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, does Jesus forgive her sins? No. Look at the words that Jesus used. Jesus does not forgive her sins. He says, Your sins are forgiven. He is stating a fact, is He? Is He not? He is simply stating a fact. They assume He has forgiven the sins. But what He is doing is He is looking at the situation and saying your sins are forgiven because of whatever whatever it is that He observes, which He tells us about later on. Your sins are forgiven. Now they get mad and they get upset. Who is He? to forgive sins. But the woman doesn't. The woman doesn't get upset at Jesus for saying this. She could have made the same assumption that the Pharisees did. Now Jesus does say, when the remember when the guy was dropped through the roof and he says, your sins are forgiven? Mm-hmm. And they all got upset? And he says to them, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, rise up and walk. And there he actually attests to having the power to forgive sins. But he doesn't say any of that here. All he says is, your sins are forgiven. When he says over here in verse 50, he says, then he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. So what was it that brought about the forgiveness of her sins? Was it Jesus declaring it? It's her faith. Her faith. Her faith faith brought the forgiveness of sins. We'll get more into that here in in just a little, little bit. But again... The comparison to this story to the one over in Matthew 18. The one over in Matthew 18, we have huge debt, little tiny debt. This one, big debt, not so big debt. But none of them are insurmountable. Far less. Both totals are far less than the, the, the upper one is way under the upper one in Matthew 18, and the lower one is higher than the one in Matthew 18. So the difference between them is smaller. What Jesus is depicting in here is very evident by the totals in the debt. That's where you have to make sure you get make make sure you get the teaching that he's getting at. Is he teaching that the that one uh, if you if you haven't caught on to this part of it here yet, the Pharisee is which debtor? The one who owed fifty. The woman is which debtor? And so he is saying in this setting, she loves me more. She loves the Father more. She loves the creditor more than you do, is what he is saying in this story. Because Simon saw himself as not being forgiven as much, whereas the woman saw herself being forgiven much. Now here's the problem. Do our acts of sin cause us to go to hell? No. Our acts of sin do not cause us to go to hell. The forgiveness that's involved in this has nothing to do with the heaven or hell issue. The forgiveness that's involved in this has to do with what they did in their life. But whether they get to heaven or hell is reflected in the Matthew 18. We all come to a debt that we cannot pay. Can't pay it. I cannot pay the debt that would get me into heaven. Cannot pay it. But now we're having 500 denarii and 50 denarii. Because when we were born into this earth, we were born under an insurmountable debt. But after that, we began to commit acts of sins. And some of us committed more acts than others. I mean, isn't that right? Some of us were very active in building up that account. (laughs) and other people not so active. And what he is saying is that Simon, you weren't forgiven as much. Therefore, you're not going to love the creditor, the father, as much. This woman was forgiven much. Therefore, her love for the father would be much. Now, on the basis of that is if that is the teaching that we should come away with. We should all, while we are young, be the worst possible sinners we could. I mean, just go out there and sin all that you can. Do every possible, every conceivable sin that you can and then come back to God and get forgiven because then you'll love Him more. (laughs) Right? Doesn't that sound like something Jesus would teach? He's saying, Simon, get out there and sin some more before you come back to me. I mean, come on, do it up good now. You, you You only dabbled before. You need to get... See this woman? She's been busy follow her example and then you can love me like she does <laughs> I don't think Simon would hear that teaching all that well I don't think that's the kind of teaching we want to come out with but really if you look at the parable that seems to be what he's saying but it's not is it we know it's not because that's not, with, that's not consistent with the rest of the word of God and anytime you come out with a teaching from the word of God it must be consistent with the rest of the word of God or else we're going to have some trouble we got to be careful on that so here's the parable so who was closer to having enough to pay off the debt? Well, neither had anything of value to put against the loan, but certainly one was in closer proximity to the end, end result there than the other one was. If you went out there and, you know, two people have a credit card and both of the credit cards have a $5,000 limit and one spends $100 and the other spends 4000 Who's closer to paying it off? <laughs> right? <laughs> Even if you have nothing, one is certainly closer to paying it off. Now, here's the thing. We are judged for our existence in sin, not our actions in sin. That's what the judgment comes from. We are judged for our existence in sin. And this is where the world gets off. The world has a problem with this because they always come back to the fact, Why well, I, I never did anything really bad. I never killed anybody. You know, I, I, I've never sold drugs or got into some of those other things. I haven't done anything like that. And we're looking at the actions in sin. And we lost sight of the existence in sin. As, what Jesus sometimes does is, look, if that's all you can see is the actions in sin, alright, let's, let's, let's deal with you on this this level. But if this is the level we're supposed to deal with God on, then the only one who can really come into a great love relationship with God are prostitutes and and <laughs> pimps and drug dealers and murderers and whatever else that you want to come up with as far as you know, sinners are concerned. You folks who were raised in a Christian household and didn't drink, didn't do drugs, it's a shame. You know, your parents just didn't do you any good at all. They should have let you go out there and just be nasty. Yeah. Then you can come on back and you can love God. But it's a shame that you had parents like that who worked hard to keep you out of sin and such things. <laughs> Well, see, that's just ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, just to even talk like that, it's just ridiculous. Certainly as parents, we want to help our kids stay out of those kind of things because it's better to have been out of them. You know, one thing about never having done drugs. I'm never tempted. I mean, drugs can be going on around me. You know how much temptation that has for me? None. It's like, ugh. One thing about never having gotten involved in alcohol. You know how much alcohol has a temptation to me? None, I despise it. Oh, I can't even, I don't even like the smell of it. Having never smoked cigarettes, do you know how much it is temptation when I go in to pay for my gasoline? Of course, I don't go in and pay for my gasoline. I just pay for it out by the punt. But if I did, go inside. And you see all the cigarettes right there. Do you know how much of a temptation it is? Oh, I don't don't want to buy one of those. There's no temptation. I look at that and say, ugh, don't like that. You know, sin's only a temptation if you like it. If you don't like it, it didn't, it's not a temptation. Temptation must tempt you. You must like it. And uh, if you're not into that, then it's not going to... So it's, it's good. We don't have all those, all those battles, all those fights, but those things that you have gotten involved with that are tempting, you know, if you, if you get involved with gossip, then gossip becomes tempting. But if you never got involved in gossip, if you don't like gossip, it's not really a tempting thing when you hear people talking about it. We are judged for our existence in sin, not our actions in it. Our focus has got to get off of the actions. But as long as our focus is on the actions, what this parable is saying is, you will love God in relationship to what you see that you have been forgiven for. Now, is Jesus saying that this woman who was down at his feet needed the work of the cross more than Simon? That's not what he's saying. Christ died for all. His blood was given for all of us. It's not saying, well, you know what? You just need one drop, but you need, you need three. <laughs> Man, you, you need extra. Can we get a pint? <laughs> there isn't anything like that going on. You know, it's, the, the blood covers it. Whatever amount is needed for one is pretty much going to do for the other because it's the sin nature. That's what, what pulls us out. What Simon doesn't realize is that it's the sin nature that's the problem. He's looking at the acts of sin. I'm not involved in the acts of sin that this person is. And Jesus is saying, when your vision, when your eyesight is on the actions of sin that you have, then those who see themselves as greater sinners will love God more. But the Pharisee doesn't see himself as a great sinner, does he? Here's the crux of this parable. With our natural understanding, we embrace the actions of sin. With my natural understanding, I can embrace the actions of sin. My natural understanding can embrace the fact that prostitution is wrong. That getting drunk is wrong. That murder is wrong. I can comprehend that. I don't need a whole lot to come about. I know those things are wrong. My natural mind can get a handle on that. How many of y'all know Jesus loves it when people attain to the level that can be reached through the natural mind? Isn't Jesus all the time saying, Oh, your natural mind has revealed that to you. That is just fascinating. Great is your faith. Jesus says to His disciples at one point, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And then He began to teach them about what's going to happen when He goes to the cross. He changed His teaching based on where they got revelation from. As long as we operate on the level that we see one person in debt 500 and the other in debt 50, I will operate on the level that what I perceive to have been forgiven for is the degree to which I will love Him. But that is a natural understanding. That is something I can do with my natural mind what he wants us to do is to get beyond that but with our spiritual understanding we embrace the consequences of our sin nature in Matthew 18 the consequences of our sin nature was to take on a debt that we could not pay in what Jesus is telling the pharisee here is until you get out of this mentality he's not speaking to the woman the parable is for Simon not the woman Jesus does not see the woman having an issue with this. She only sees Simon. Because it's Simon who says in his heart, if he knew the manner of woman, the woman never says, if he knew the manner of man, he would not eat in this house. (laughs) She doesn't say that. It's Simon. Jesus perceived that Simon says this. Jesus speaks to Simon. He looks at the woman, but he speaks to Simon. Not to the woman. Everything about this parable is directed at Simon. Because the problem is with Simon, Simon, not the women. This problem that he's addressing is not with everybody. It is with those people who look at this one over here. Well, they're a worse sinner than I am. Thank God I'm not like that woman. Thank God I'm not like that guy over there. Oh man, if I would be like that guy. As long as I keep comparing actions of sins then I will only love God to the level of which I have seen that I am forgiven. But with our spiritual understanding, we embrace the consequences of our sin nature. With my spiritual understanding, I understand that I have been forgiven an unpayable debt. And because of that, I go off and I forgive other people. $20 debts, even $30 and $40 debts. And I don't care much about it because I was forgiven an insurmountable debt. <laughs> I, was, I was forgiven huge, huge debt. We cannot even fathom all those millions of dollars being owed to someone and not having a dime. Not even being able to say, I'll pay $100 now. Nothing. Nothing at all. But with this one, again, the problem was not with the woman. It's with the, with Simon. It is not, not that only those who sin more that can love Him more, but those who understand what we were saved from will love Him greatly and never see themselves as better or more deserving than another. That's what we have to get into. This is the problem that Jesus is addressing. Simon sees himself as more worth Jesus' attention. Simon sees himself as, I deserve to be here at the table with Jesus. What does this woman think? Coming in here to this place and doing this sort of stuff? Who does she think she is? He sees himself as better. If we have this mentality that says, well, I'm better than that one. Folks, we are on Simon's level. And all we can understand is $500, 500 denarii debts, in 50 denarii debts. And I'm trying to say, well, I'm only in the 50. I may not have anything to pay, but I've only been forgiven 50. Uh, they've been, they racked up quite a bit of a debt there. What we do and how we treat the Lord is a direct reflection on how much we really love Him. Isn't that what it is? What we do and how we treat the Lord is a direct reflection of how we really love Him. Would you say that the man who buys his fiancée a three-carat diamond ring loves his bride-to-be more than the man who bought a quarter-carat diamond ring. You wouldn't say that, would you? You would want to look at how the man treats the woman. Because how the man treats the woman tells you how the man loves the woman. Not the ring he bought her. Because some men who bought three carat diamond rings for their fiance treat them like dirt. But some men who only, only could have, but all they did everything they could. Quarter carat, all they could afford. And they presented that with all the pride that they could possibly put out there and, and worked hard and I got enough and, and, but they treat that woman differently what we do and how we treat the Lord is a direct reflection on how we really love Him. How Simon saw the woman was a direct reflection of how much Simon loved God. How the woman treated Jesus is a direct reflection of how the woman loved God. It's the actions. In Matthew 25 and verse 40, in another parable. And the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Inasmuch as you thought ill of that woman who sat there and wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair and anointed him with oil and kissed his feet. Inasmuch as you thought about that one is how you thought about God the Father. The contempt you felt in your heart for this person is the contempt you felt in your heart for God the Father. And as much as you did it to the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. A few verses down to verse 45. Surely I say to you, in as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So whatever I do or whatever I don't do to the least of these brethren. I do it unto him. And what Jesus is saying, in my opinion, as far as this parable is concerned, is he's looking at Simon. And he's saying, Simon, all you see is the natural. You've not seen the insurmountable debt that every single person paid. Without it being paid, you would have gone directly to hell. You're just looking at your acts of sin. And you have determined that your acts of sin are less than this other person's acts of sin. And because you see your acts of sin as being so low, the love that you have for the Father follows suit. But you need to get beyond that. And you need to go back over to the Matthew 18 and understand that you were forgiven an insurmountable debt that should have an effect upon every single person you come in contact with. How conscious are we in our common courtesies to the Lord how conscious are we when we meet up with the least of these my brethren do we begin to think oh contempt do we begin to think oh that person shouldn't have done that to me oh that person shouldn't have acted that way oh they shouldn't have done no we are not to have these kind of things come in because we're losing sight of what's going on love the Father Walk in love to the Father. You walk in love to the Father. You walk in great love to the Father. Not natural love, supernatural love. There is a difference when the disciples followed after natural revelation than when they followed after supernatural revelation. Under natural revelation, Jesus says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and they look to each other and they say, Oh, we forgot to bring bread. Oh, come on, we forgot to bring the bread. Oh, we should have brought the bread. And Jesus says to them, Yeah, that's what I meant. You got it. Good job, guys. He says, what are you thinking about bread? Weren't you there? (laughs) How many baskets did you pick up when we fed the 5,000? How many baskets did you pick up when we fed the 4,000? Don't you get it yet? And they're saying, yeah, yeah, okay. We uh, we got it now. Mm -hmm." They look at each other. You get that? I have no idea what he's talking about. I can't figure this stuff out for anything. Why? Because they're trying to embrace spiritual truth with natural understanding. And you cannot, do, you cannot do that. Nor can you understand forgiveness. If you love the Father based upon what you see that you have been forgiven, then your love will hit a limit. The woman who was washing his feet and anointing him with this with alabaster of oil was not looking at how much she was forgiven compared to someone else. She simply was loving God. She wasn't taking effect on all these sort of things. She would gotten beyond that. And so he says to her, Woman, great is your faith. How is her faith involved? <laughs> How is her faith involved in washing his feet? Oh, I'll tell you what. How many people that see themselves as sinners, that are seen as sinners from the world, would ever come to the feet of Jesus? Would ever come there and say, I deserve to be here? How many women with an issue of blood ever thought, Who am I? To come up and touch Jesus' garment. How many of the centurions do we know who come to Jesus and say, "Come to my house," and as He gets close, He said, "No, wait, I'm not worthy for you to come. Just say the word." But Jesus would have come, but He stopped them. All oh, too often, folks, we're, we're we're stuck in the natural. We're looking at things in a natural realm, and because we're looking at things in a natural realm, natural stuff gets in the way. And we get offended at people. We get hurt. You get offended at people, folks. You're getting offended to God. Whatever you do, the least of these, my brethren, you do it unto. So if I get offended by the least of these, brethren, what do I get offended at? I'm offended at God. If I love the least of these, my brethren, what am I doing? I'm loving God. you got to keep loving God. Because you just don't know what happened. The... Simon thinks he knows what's going on with this woman, but I bet he has never one time pulled her aside and said, what's going on? Everybody's saying this and this and this about you, but you know, what's going on? I'm here, I'm a Pharisee. You know, we're, we're here to teach people the Word of God and help people out. I want to help you out of this situation. What's going on with your life? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked. Here's what's going on. <laughs> but that didn't happen. Simon sat at this and said, oh, that's a sinner. Man, we would to get away from that one. Jesus would get amongst the the, the tax collectors and the publicans and the harlots and the prostitutes and they would look at him and say, How, what's he doing? Fellowship, socializing with people like that. Why is he doing that? And Jesus would say, it's not the well that need a physician but the, but the sick. See, we're not, we're not branching out beyond the natural scope of things. We've got to branch out beyond the natural. We've got to get into the supernatural. First off, I understand no matter what it is I come up against, I have been forgiven an insurmountable debt. And if you look at an insurmountable debt, let's just pull a figure out of the hat, $50 million. Now, for some people, that's not insurmountable. For most of us here, <laughs> it's, it's pretty much insurmountable. But if you want, we can just step, it, step that up a bit. Now, you know, we've a lot of numbers around in this economy and stuff like that. You know, It seems like a trillion dollars is nothing. So why don't we just say 150 trillion dollars. I owe 150 trillion dollars. And then I, f- I stumble upon an IOU of 500 denari. Oh that, that broke it. 500 denarii. Whew. man I don't know if I can take I don't know if I can fix this. I just put another 500. Day's wage on that one hundred and fifty trillion dollar bill. I mean, most of us in our lifetime will never spend a trillion dollars total. Well, I thought it was so funny earlier in the you know last last while when we uh, the government passed what was it some kind of a four trillion dollar uh, bill, spending bill, four trillion dollars. And then, you know, people in the, in the country, is, oh, that's so much money. Oh, that's too much money. And so they all had this, a nice little meeting and they came back and said, we made $100 million in, tax, in cuts. We just, I mean, we really, we cut this thing down. We went from $4 trillion to $100 million less than $4 trillion. <laughs> what do you do? Are you serious? <laughs> and they, they actually sold that. They were real proud. We trimmed off $100 million. Do you all remember that? Yeah. And that was a figure. It was $100 million they trimmed. They came out there proud. We got $100 million trimmed off of that $4 trillion. don't think that's going to help out a whole lot. Can you imagine having something that big that $100 million won't? But see, when we get all focused on this thing and the devil comes up to us and he says, don't you remember when you were young? You were doing these kind of... Oh. What's the matter if you were in an insurmountable debt? What's another 500 bucks?" What's another thousand? <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> What's it going to matter? $150 trillion. Can you even calculate what that would be? I mean, would it be a penny? A half a cent? Unbelievable. But we, we get caught up in it. Caught up in this kind of thing. Get out of what the natural realm... The devil loves you to be in natural realm because if you stay in a natural realm area in this, in this part of forgiveness in this part of receiving the love of God then you will love back in that natural realm you will be a Simon he doesn't want you to be a Simon you see the best example of love in this story is not the woman she is not the best example of love she is never held up as an example of love in this story the best example of love in this story is Jesus he's the best one because he loves the one who's washing his feet who's the sinner and he loves Simon who's an obnoxious guy who's despising this person that he also loves but he still loves Simon and he's going to go to the cross for Simon he's going to go to the cross for the the woman Jesus is the best example of love there and out of Jesus you don't ever see contempt for the woman or contempt for Simon You see, instruction to help them get out of it. We're going to need to branch out of the natural realm of understanding love and forgiveness and get into the supernatural realm. And if you fully get into the supernatural realm, you will not be able to be offended. You will not be able to be offended because you simply understand how much was done for you. What was done on your behalf. And you know what? Nobody can do anything to me that's anywhere close to what I did to him. Before I ever reached out and loved to him, he loved me. He loves the Simons. (laughs) And he loves the woman with the alabaster of oil. He loves them all. And Jesus doesn't look contemptuously at any of them. He's the example we are to follow. Let's get out of the natural area. Let's get into the supernatural area. Because we get into that and you will never fall into that thing that who's going to love him more? The one who was given forgiven 500 or the one who was forgiven 50? Because the person who was forgiven 50, like Simon, would stand up and say, wait a minute. I was never forgiven a 50 denarii debt. I was forgiven an insurmountable debt. I was forgiven a huge amount. I couldn't even pay it back. What are you talking about? Or Simon might say, Am I the 500 one? Is is that me? I'm probably the 500 one. Is she the 50? (laughs) But Simon, he couldn't get there because he was caught up in the natural realm of this thing. Get out of the natural realm. Don't follow after the example of the woman, though certainly a better example than Simon. The best example is Jesus. Father, we thank you for the great example that Jesus was. Oh, one who could love a Simon as much as the unnamed woman in this story. One who could let one who was a sinner come in and minister to him and let one who saw himself as righteous feed him dinner. His goal was always to minister to everyone that he could. And he didn't get offended at either one of them. He just reached out to him the best way that he could. Father, we thank you for such great stories parables that we can learn from. We thank you for such a great example in our Savior Jesus. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.